0: Defending Utah covers the stories others are just too often afraid
1: to touch. They don't nibble around the edges when it comes to pointing out threats to our liberty. They're not afraid to name names and call out organizations.
2: This is Defending Utah Radio, every Friday morning at 9 on KTALK 1640. Defending Utah, think right and wrong, not right and left. Join Defending Utah, because if you're not already on a government watch list, you should be.
0: We have a special guest on today, uh, James Corbett of the Corbett Report, and uh, coming to us from Japan. And uh, so this is a pre-recorded uh, broadcast, but we're, we're doing this so that James doesn't have to be up all night. <laughs> and uh, anyway, he is uh, uh, very well known for his uh, videos uh, revealing the truth about 9-11 and many other conspiracies uh, globally, uh, including the wars and the, uh, the elites and how they function. And um, he is a very good source for truth uh, if you're searching online. In fact, uh, one of the few YouTubers that's still left, um, uh, most of them have been completely censored off the internet. And uh, James, because of his original content, has managed to uh, survive a lot of that. And for having his own website and maintaining it so well. Anyway, we're just privileged to have you on, James. And uh, uh, hopefully, I did an okay job of, of presenting your, your,
3: uh, you know, what you do. But uh,
1: maybe more
3: than okay because you mentioned my website, which is something that a lot of people leave out. They always say, oh, go what? look him up on YouTube. No, don't look me up on YouTube, (laughs) because it's getting harder (laughs) and harder to do so. And someday, I am going to be censored off of there. Look me up at CorbettReport.com, where I have everything backed up. You can get it from my servers. You can get it through alternative media platforms. I have a lot of different ways to get the material, not just YouTube.
0: In other words, you're forward-looking, and you know what's coming down the pike. Uh, We just did a show with Jeff C. On uh, media censorship. And uh, I, I think he's had, uh, I don't know, at least 10, 15 channels destroyed. And uh, I don't know how much content he's lost in the process, but uh, I'm glad you've been backing things up.
3: Yeah. Well, I've been talking about this since I think 2008 or 2009. I remember there was something called a Veracity Video. Dot com I think it was at that time that was this like oh, you know YouTube's getting censored and controlled It's bought out by Google and I was all on board with it And I was backing things up there and trying to promote it It actually got too big I think at a certain point and they just didn't have the server space and the bandwidth to deal with it So it went under and that's the way that a lot of these alternative platforms have been going until recently the last several years and now we have web torrent technology and IPFS and other ideas for how to distribute this so that we actually can compete with a Google or something like that, that has obviously billions of dollars to invest in infrastructure all around the world and serve out these videos. It's never going to be as convenient as YouTube. Yeah. Of course, that's the easiest and most convenient way to get information because you just click it, it works. You know, of course, they have this incredible investment behind the it. Servers, but- everywhere. Yeah, but convenience comes with a price, and that price is freedom. And uh, if you care about the freedom, you're going to have to take a little bit of inconvenience and maybe teach yourself a thing or two in order to try out some other platforms. It's not even that difficult. I mean, my website, there's a big player there that's that's linking from my server. You just click the big play button. It shouldn't be that difficult. But people are just so ingrained in their habits of convenience.
0: Yeah, it's true. And then speaking of tyranny and uh, and freedom, uh, here in Utah, we've got the probably the largest, I think it's the largest uh, data center. Um, in the world. <laughs> the NSA
1: Spy Center is located yeah. right here.
0: We drive yeah. by every day. In fact, there was a fire. I was dr- just driving up north yeah. earlier. There was a fire off next to it. And I thought, oh, good, is it burning down? And <laughs> <it was> <laughs> such <laughs> luck.
3: Yeah. You know, I was... But, uh, I, yeah, I, actually, before we were recording, I said I know nothing right. about Utah I and mean, I've never been there. But I did do an interview years ago about Nullify the NSA um, with um, Michael Meharry of uh, the Tenth Amendment Center. And he was talking oh, about... fantastic. Yeah, he was talking about the NSA center there and how people, uh, the, uh, the movement to try to get, the, uh, stop the water supply to the to the NSA data center and what have you so they couldn't cool it so they wouldn't be able to run it, that That's kind right. of thing. Great yep. idea. Unfortunately, it didn't quite work yet, but you know, it's a way to start.
1: Working on it. And just for our listeners as well, just kind of more an introduction, um, one of your videos, uh, beyond just the kind of covering things that the real news that isn't talked about, you also do a lot of really good history videos. I loved your World War One history series. Um, and that was something we actually passed out to to all of the Defending Utah members. And I spread it out to my influence because that was just, it's important. Some people, sometimes you forget that understanding history helps you understand what's going on today. And so that was a really, really good video and yeah. a really important
3: video. And, and that's exactly why I made that. Um, it was 2014 that I started thinking I should do a World War One documentary because, you know, 100 years. And I was thinking about the different parallels and there's just so many different things that that match up with what was going on 100 years ago, and we didn't learn the lessons of 100 years ago. So it ended up taking me four years to put that together and eventually get it out. But I'm glad I did because I, I do think it is important. And uh, it's an important piece of history. But on the censorship note, guess, guess what YouTube did they age restricted parts one and two. So you have to be signed <laughs> in <laughs> and 18 years of age to watch my World War it's One documentary. World
1: War one. Wow. You, you
3: must be of age. We
1: actually I've got a uh, 16 and a now 18 year old and Um, Just last year, I made them watch that for their world history class.
3: Uh, This is the the nightmare scenario for certain people. Uh, Chris Hayes did a tweet uh, of MSNBC. He did a tweet uh, several months ago about, imagine you're a high school student and you're assigned a project on the Federal Reserve and you type Federal Reserve into YouTube and you get this. And he posts a (laughs) screenshot of my Federal Reserve uh, documentary. Like, oh no, oh, think of the poor children. Um, It's kind of funny but uh, as he as he said at the time at that time if you type federal reserve into youtube i think it was either number 1 or number 2 search result and the next day after he made that tweet you type federal reserve into youtube it's not there anymore um, i mean and then i get people saying well if you type in century of enslavement history of the federal reserve by james corbett it's right there <laughs> that's not- that's you not know, the point of this. The point is people are searching for Federal Reserve and trying to find information about that. I'd like them to see this information. Yeah, and of the, course, that's what they're going to clamp down on.
0: The level of censorship is just off the charts. I mean, I, it used to be, and I I did a lot of my waking up with YouTube. Um, and uh, of course, your 9-11 video was part of that. And uh, along with a lot of other content out there. And it just, uh, within the last two years, it seems like now... Unless you're looking for CBS and NBC, uh, you've got to go elsewhere.
3: In a sense, we were in the golden age from about 2005 to about 2015, 16. Um, and I knew that at the time, as I was experiencing that, I'm I, I kept seeing how the the TV land, you know, the TV anchors and whatever would poo poo and dismiss the internet and blah blah blah. And I and I'm living this reality of seeing thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people starting to turn online for information, and I. You know, it's just so incredibly obvious to anyone but those trapped in their little beltway mindset or whatever that can't, that have blinkers on that can't understand. The dinosaur media is gone. It's done. Now, the, unfortunately, the eye of Sauron is on the internet and what's <laughs> happening there. So now they know exactly how important this is. And that, now we're starting to see the real crackdown. It's been there for a while, but I think it's really happening. Yeah, I've
2: yeah, got to pull those contact lens out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's a new censorship um, I've been experiencing, uh, specifically with your channel on YouTube. Is within the last, I think, probably two or three months now, uh, YouTube basically refuses to autoplay your channel. So every time I play something from your channel, now it goes to a ted talk or like yeah. the BBC. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. A, and that that one's really that one's new, new oh, they're definitely yeah uh, part of the algorithmic change is the uh, recommended videos and they've no. said they're not going to be recommending conspiracy theory videos and i'm sure i'm in whatever you know backdoor kind of classification system they have i'm in the conspiracy crackpot theory section, I'm sure. So I don't get recommended as much anymore. Uh, It occasionally happens. I was quite surprised. I saw my recent Secrets of Silicon Valley um, video being recommended to me on my phone. (laughs) And and sometimes, sometimes I'm signed in as me on my desktop and I still get my videos recommended to me. I'm like, what's the point of that algorithm? I don't even get that. But this was me signed out on a different device, and I was getting it recommended to me. So I'm like, oh well, that one broke through somehow. Yes. You know? The redundant department of redundancy, <laughs> and probably did it. Well, but yeah, it's definitely the uh, the search. Um, search is getting more and more difficult. I actually did an experiment recently on a different device. I just typed in Corbett. You'd think that would be pretty straightforward. I mean, there are other Corbett's, there was some Tom Corbett, the governor of Pennsylvania or something, there's some Corbett National Park in India. Yeah, so who cares there. about that there guy? Some stuff, right, yeah. but, so I'd expect a bit of that. But it was like, literally, you got Corbett Report Channel and Corporate Report Extra's channel, but all of the video content, it was all either people interviewing me or reposting my stuff, none of the videos were from my channel. So, again, they're, okay. they're doing this, it's, it's starting.
0: Well, and I have to say,
3: if if we ever
0: get the chance to create our own news network, um, I'm putting well. My nomination is for you to run it. Uh, I you, when it comes to I don't
3: need another thing on my plate. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. And hopefully, hopefully, it can generate some money, so you don't have to like uh, just do this for fun. But uh, but that's I don't know. I I consider you somewhat of a of a prophet in the in the media world of conspiracies and seeing what's coming and being able to tell what uh, what's on the horizon. But um, it's the robots, (laughs) the rise of them. (laughs) But, but I guess, I guess a a good question for you, uh, James, is how do you filter um, and find your sources? How do you find information? What, what sparks your interest and gets you uh, going with, with the topics of the day? Are you
2: like an, are you an archive searcher? You know, like uh, Ben has spent probably thousands of hours at, at uh very expansive libraries
3: in person i just yeah what, what, what is your not no not enough not enough i'd like well, to you be can never do enough ideas. but <laughs> <laughs> well yeah i mean again there's nothing in the world i wouldn't want to know more about if i could just download it from the matrix or whatever but yeah. uh yeah uh no i don't do a lot of like archive and document deep dives or at least not nearly enough or as much as i should I do I, I my role essentially, I'm not the gumshoe investigative reporter that's digging skeletons out of closets. I am more of the guy that's kind of taking stuff that is out there and consolidating it and trying to piece it together in a way that'll make sense to people and tell a story so that they understand the information that's important. So I'm always trying to give I mean that's one of the reasons I always point back to source documents like look, this is where this comes from. this is what you should be. looking into and concentrating on don't take my word for it you know look like a
0: lot of focus on the fundamentals it seems like you're you're very good at taking the fundamental principles and then applying it to what's happening today yeah
3: well uh, okay so i think essentially i'm an academic that's not in academia um i got out of it thankfully i was on that track and i got my master's degree in anglo-irish literature in dublin and i could have gone down that path and i would not have been a stellar academic by any means but i could have made it career out of it, I'm sure. But I didn't, God, I could not think of anything more horrible than the idea of doing like seven years on some PhD thesis on some extremely tiny little topic. And you know, you know, everything in the world about stories written about cyborgs in the 1940s or something or whatever it is, like some ridiculous piece of... I believe they were
2: called automatons back then. Oh, uh,
3: yeah, wow. you, wow, you know your stuff. Yeah, very good. Yeah, no, I because I, I, I say that because one of my TAs and one of my classes was doing a thesis on <laughs> robots and automatons in literature yeah. in the 1930s. I'm sorry. I'm sorry,
2: Corbett. But I you're right. You're right. The but
3: there you go. So I that's kind of anathema to me and who I am. And I, I never wanted to go down that road. So I, I I never wanted to go down this road. I never thought I would be doing this kind of work. Um, but it just kind of happened. I, all, I was getting all this information. I'm like, well, I got to get it out somehow. So what I do essentially is what I was doing back in my academic days is writing essays. I mean, essentially, that's what I'm doing. Now they're in the form of podcasts or videos or, or articles, but they're essentially like essays. And you just take, you, you, you understand this from a certain perspective. So you, you take this piece of information, this piece of information and go, hey, look, those pieces fit together. And look, this makes a story. And that's essentially what I do. So I'm not... I would like to be the guy sitting there in the archives and digging out documents that no one's ever seen, but I tend to be more the guy that's synthesizing stuff that other people have researched. And that but, comes through something like the world war one conspiracy where, I mean, you want to give props, give it to uh, uh, Dr. D McGregor who wrote uh, hidden history of world war one. I. I mean, that's incredible, awesome research that they did. It's extremely thoroughly documented. Several hundred pages actually put the, their two books together. It's over a thousand pages. I mean, it's, it's incredible. And then a guy like me comes along and takes and synthesizes that information into a sort of watchable, you know, 90 minute documentary. And, yeah, which and is millions fair. of people watch my documentary and, you know, maybe thousands of people read the book. It's kind of a travesty that way, but th- this is my role. This is what I do.
1: But I think along those lines, something that we get asked a lot is, um, how do you know who to trust? Who do you go to for trustworthy news? And, you know, because you're, you're talking about synthesizing, but that means you've got a load, you got to, you got to filter through a whole lot of garbage before you get something that you can synthesize. And so what what are some of the tools that you use either mentally speaking or otherwise to be able to filter through the garbage and and narrow it down? Like, cause how many books are there on world war one where most of them are just propaganda to promote, you know, the, the globalist agenda.
3: Yeah, it's a good point. Um, yeah, because as uh, I did a follow up a Q and A Q&A about World War One after I released the documentary, where I went through a bunch of the books that I consulted, and yeah, I mean like Hidden History World War One or Lord Milner's Second War or those types of books, but then you have the very mainstreamy books, the Barbara Tuckmans and what have you, that ugh, you know just repeating propaganda. And how do you how do you discern the difference? Well, uh, I, there are many ways that I can avoid this question. One of which is to say that any. Any, any criteria that I give you for how to decide, you know, what is good or bad information is something that you could be using yourself and you should be using, for example, on me. Well, why would I trust what James is saying? So, I mean, I, we have to have that critical thinking layer on for everything. There is no, okay, you can trust this, but you can't trust this. That, I wish, I wish it was that simple, but unfortunately it isn't. And even in the mainstream propaganda stuff, there is true information you have to be able to sort out, okay, this is true and verifiable. And this, you know, but, oh, it's leaving out this part of the puzzle, which actually may, helps it make sense or something like that. So there's many different ways to approach this. I try not, I mean, there are a very, very, very few sources that I would say, I'm not sure there's anything I would say I 100% trust in every sense. And there are very few that I would say, I don't listen to a single thing they ever say, because they're always wrong. There's generally some admixture of truth and lies in everything so you have to cast your net widely enough but you also have to be grounded in a sense that you know what is going to be at least what the bias or agenda of any given source is because that's another point I've made many times I have a podcast episode on it about uh, the myth of journalistic objectivity Uh, of course any journalist wants you to think that they're sitting there floating on a cloud and I have no bias I'm just presenting this side and this side and letting you decide which is nonsense because there's no story in the world worth reporting on that has a this side and this side and that's it. No, there's always many different perspectives and who you leave out is as important as who you are presenting to your audience And many different ways that bias sneaks in. I have my own biases and agendas and where the perspective I'm coming from and my own beliefs and ideologies. And to, to pretend that doesn't have some effect on my work or the, the way it's presented is, is nonsense. Right. So you have to understand, oh, James, James is an anarchist. You know, he's he's not Republican or Democrat or left or right or that kind of thing So he's gonna come from that perspective and when you have that filter in place then you can go Okay, so he's saying this and oh, but he's leaving out this or you know He's a shill for whatever but as long as you understand the the Perspectives that people have then you can at least start to understand where their information is coming from and what other What other types of ways you can explore to see? Oh, is there something over here? Is there something over here? Um, That's a lot of critical thinking and I realize a, not everyone has the ability to do that, but B, not, not everyone has the time to do that. It, yeah. That's why it's so much easier to say, just trust this source, you know, just go to this website and you got to, just go to Corbett Report and you'll know everything there is to know about the world.
1: <laughs> yeah, not, I, I, ditto on
3: that one, because I'll just say on my short list, that's the Corbett Report's at the top. I appreciate that and I appreciate the sentiment behind it, but uh, look, from my perspective, I get dozens dozens and dozens of tips and emails every day you should look at this you should interview this guy you should look over here the, look at this story oh don't talk to that guy or whatever i get all sorts of feedback like that every day and some of it i'm sure is valid i'm sure there are many different things oh yeah that's that's an incredible story i should be looking into it but i can't i physically cannot do it all so i mean yeah i hope that the information i present is as as true as I can make it, as as straightforward as I can make it, I try to be as honest and, and open as possible with my sources and what's happening and what I'm presenting. But even so, even if I was absolutely perfect, and, and you know what, I do make mistakes. I am human. But even if I was absolutely perfect, I still can only present so much as I can present. And I'm, just, I'm literally a guy here in my living room in Japan. I mean, I, I do not have the resources to report on everything that's going on in the world. So you have to you have well, at to least you're your not fight. like
1: the uh, Snopes where you're a guy and his hooker in the basement. So
3: <laughs> yeah. Fair, true enough. We're the Syrian Observatory and Human Rights, which is a guy in a... where so you're uh, like you guy living in your mom's house in your basement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <In our basement.
2: laughs> You're in a living room, so you know, that's why, it's It's respectable.
3: There's not a living room, no, it's not my
2: parents. There you go. There's not hookers, like, just off screen. Uh, let
3: me check. Uh, no, they're, they're hiding away. There's, there's a guitar. There okay, go.
2: good. All the people that can't see it, I just confirmed. No hooker, James no. Corbett has no hookers.
3: No, no. I do have my daughter out there somewhere.
1: Okay, good. And good you're wearing headphones when we're talking about hookers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I,
3: I plan ahead. That's
0: right, keep it, we'll keep it under wraps. So, uh, so James, if, if you had to characterize where we are and where we are going as a society, maybe, maybe and I'm also curious about America versus the world, like how is it different out there? Um, where would you put us? And then how do we win? I guess that's the, I'm curious about your feedback on that. What's the question again? America versus the world and how do we win? Where are we? Where are we going? Okay. You had to do a big picture summary of what's well, happening yeah. in terms of the conspiracy. My big
3: picture summary Yeah, my big picture summary doesn't revolve around the nation-state structure that we are handed, because I think that is a construct that is used as a as a tool in and of itself to get certain people thinking in certain directions. As an example, I will point people back to my World War One conspiracy documentary where of course everyone in all sides of that conflict are motivated by King and country or whatever the equivalent was at that time that they're doing it for this reason, that they're being presented by their leaders, misleaders, psychopathic rulers, whatever. Um, and this is, this is what's happening when in reality, of course, there's several layers above that uh, in terms of manipulating both sides of the conflict and, and all of that. And I think that plays out a time and time again throughout history. I think it is playing out today so that for example, It's the United States versus China in this trade war, and maybe it'll become a military war. But as I've talked about in my podcast at some length and many times, I think this is a manipulated conflict too, between people who are collaborating on both sides of that U.S.-China divide and have been for decades laying the groundwork for China to become an economic competitor of the United States. Why would they do that, James? Is it? I mean, is it David Rockefeller and people like that? Aren't they good true blue Americans that want America to win, America first? No, they don't care at all about the United States of America. They do not subscribe. People at that level of this reality do not subscribe to the nation state system. They do not feel any more affinity to you than they do to a, you know, transnational elite on some other side of the border. I mean, obviously they they care more about their transnational elite friends than they do about average guys in Utah or whatever. Uh, That's how this, this game works. Uh, I'm not saying that there isn't something to do with nationality and, and and your culture and who you are and all of that. That's important, but I am saying that this is used as constructs to pit people against each other, uh, for always for the benefit of people that are several rungs up the ladder that are doing things that most people have no idea about. Well, like what, even,
0: even Cecil Rhodes was talking about, you know, uh, how he wanted hegemony for. Uh, for uh British you know the British empire but uh but maybe that was just what he said publicly
3: well no i think there was i think there was a genuineness to that um that ideology but of course that brings with it so many different uh, smuggles in so many different assumptions about for example i mean what is the place of uh, Canada or in India or South Africa or whatever it is in that system. And how do they, and so what place do they have in that? And then there's also the question of America, which at a certain point in the development of that Cecil Rhodes Roundtable, they had to Uh, admit was one of the rising powers at that time in the turn of the 20th century. So Cecil Rhodes started talking about, we need a, we need a parliament of the English speaking peoples. It'll be, it'll meet in Washington for five years and then it'll meet in London for five years kind of thing. And how will we merge these into some sort of supranational ruling oligarch of the the world kind of thing. And so there was, I think there was a genuist to that. I think that he really did aspire to that. But of course, again, it's not for the benefit of the average you know, coal miner in Newcastle. My my family roots go back to Newcastle and, you know, the coal miners there. Obviously, they weren't going to benefit from this glorious British empire that Cecil Rose was constructing. It was for, you know, his business associates like the Rothschilds and, you know, the international bankers and the people who really run the system. And that's that's what it's about. But yeah, he did, I think he really did adhere to those beliefs, but it's the question of what, what do those beliefs contain? And, uh, you know, newsflash, it doesn't contain... Oh, I, I love each and every one of you because you happen to. They're the inner <laughs> geographical re- region of me or something. They're
0: the inner party members, and they're gonna they're gonna win no matter what. That's their yeah.
3: Thing. But but people do. Yeah, it is an effective propaganda construct because then people can be rallied around to support the people who don't give two cents worth about them. I don't care about you, but but hey, we're all on the same team, right? Because look, I'll wrap myself in the flag and. Therefore, you have to support what I'm
1: doing. That's an important aspect I think people forget about is, yes, they're trying to build a global government, but I don't know if you've, if you've read this issue of foreign affairs. This is from the, um, was it uh, March, April of this year, foreign affairs, talking about the new nationalism, and it's all about how they're they have to promote this nationalism and how you know, that that they are using that to be able to pit people against each other.
3: Yeah. Interesting. You know, I will have to read that. I'll read that because I wrote an article a few years ago for the International Forecaster called How to Really Defeat Globalism. It was part of a series I was writing, talking about North American Union and things like that, and, and the problem, the danger of globalism, global government, and why it should be opposed. But then... Uh, my point is that yeah, so it seems like okay, we got to go against globalism, so we got to be nationalists.
1: Right, right. My
3: point is saying no, 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 no. You don't understand the the broader perspective here. Globalism is kind of this ideology that everyone can be put in this incredibly broad collective, and we'll all be lumped in together, and we'll all worship the, the United Nations or whatever it is, sing sing our allegiance to God, Emperor Obama or whoever gets appointed. Right? <laughs> yeah, nonsense, and and it should be laughed at. But what is the real alternative to that? Oh, okay, so no, we won't have this global collective. We'll have a national collective. And yeah, it won't be the UN flag. It'll be the US flag. And everyone will pledge their allegiance to whoever happens to be residing in the Oval Office. And yeah. that that will be the way. Well, it's, it's the same game. Re, uh, nationalism is a stepping stone on the stage towards regionalism. It's a stepping stone on the way towards they're globalism. Playing, they're playing risk with us, basically. Uh, that's one of the perspectives. and And you get this... Most, uh, most vividly, when you go back to the roots of the nation-state ideology in the nationalist system, when you start looking at people like Johann Ficht, in, in Prussia at that time, back in the 18th century, people like that that were starting to write about, okay, we need to start in, uh, inculcating this idea of the nation state and the fatherland. And how do we do this? Well, we've got to start indoctrinating the children, so we're gonna have to have a national education system so that we can do this. This is why the Prussian education system became the model that was transported to America. It was the model for the system that's used in Japan because it fosters this collective idea and, oh, we all have to do everything for the nation state and give ourselves over to that. It's just and then, once people have really internalized that and subsumed it, so now, okay, I'm following this flag or I'm following this 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 entity, this puppet thing, whatever it is, then they just switch it out u s flag u n flag. Hey, yeah, you know it's it's just a mental barrier, a stepping stone towards the next part of this. And I think that's the insidious part of it. The real answer to globalism isn't another form of collectivism, it's individualism. And that's the and that's the part that's neglected and and won't even be talked about as a potential for how to really combat what's going on.
0: And so that's the other question is, yeah, combating what's going on. How do we have success and what constitutes success? I mean, how do we know that we're winning even in our little microcosm in our, in our neighborhoods or more than that?
3: Well, I know this is an answer that isn't going to satisfy everyone because it's, uh, you know, it's, it's not tangible. You can't reach out and touch it. Uh, the easy way is to say, oh, you know, next time that you, you get a, an election, just go and vote harder and vote the right person in and then everything will be better. Uh, nonsense, of course. But then what is the real alternative? I think something that I, I keep going back to time and time and time and time and time again in my work is that there is incredible amounts of money and uh, intellectual machinery and, and and resources put towards propagandizing the public in various ways. In fact, I have a weekly video series I do propaganda watch where every week we examine some ridiculous piece of propaganda and show how is it how it's working and why it's working and, and and you know how can we take this apart and can we use it for good and whatever blah 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 all these different psychological techniques and the ways they try to manipulate your mind. But the fundamental point of that is they wouldn't be spending all of this time and money and resources and energy trying to propagandize the public if the public's perception and the public's Beliefs and the public's understanding of the world wasn't important. It is important what's going on between your ears. That is the ultimate important thing. The information war, the 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 battle for people's minds, is the most important thing that is going on. Because clearly, the people still have the power. It's still billions of people who, more or less, are regular people trying to get by. Don't want to start wars and kill people and aren't crazy. Just trying to get by. But there's a little bit of this this parasitic entity on top that puppets and, can, and steers so many of them because they can control their mind. And it's the old adage, no one is more enslaved than those who believe, falsely believe that they are free. Well, that requires so much propaganda and there's so much energy spent on lying to the public and trying to skew their perceptions and get them to be on board with the war on terror, whatever that means. We're against Al-Qaeda this week, but wait, Al-Qaeda's are friends in Syria. So, okay, we're on board with Al-Qaeda now. I mean, whatever it takes, uh, you know, they could do whatever mental flips yeah. that they, they need to. Uh, so the real solution then, the real thing that we have to do is the revolution of the mind, is yeah. to get people to understand, to see and understand this alternative perspective and to realize that the, the, the kind of battle, the political battles that are presented to us are false dialogues, they're false dialectics between one controlled position and another controlled position. And no matter what way that smashes out, it's going to be bad. It's going to go in the direction that the people who want to take control of the situation is. There are completely other directions we could go. An example of that is like the internet censorship. Yeah. Um, oh, you know, YouTube and Facebook and all these are cracking down on whoever this week, right wingers, left wingers, whatever, who cares? Well, then the answer is government regulation. And there you go. Now we're gonna have a good system. No, 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 no. What about the other idea? We don't have to use YouTube and Facebook and all these platforms. It is not, no one has the gun to your head to make these into the monopolies that they so desire to be. The government coming in and regulating it will make them into monopolies. But no, we have the choice. We can pursue alternatives and it may be harder and we may, but if we understand why, we need alternatives and why we need to support them and why our participation in the process is important, then we can actually make a difference. But it all comes back down to that. Why? And if we can really show the why to people, we can have a a market difference and an impact. And that's, again, that's exactly why they are trying to clamp down on the internet and the free flow of information on it, because they know this is making a difference. We are having an effect. It's like we have to teach them
0: the, what the motives are of these people, and we have to teach people to think critically so that they can for themselves discern, you know, it, assuming, assume when you watch the media, assume they're out to, to uh, deceive you.
3: What would be, jump into their shoes, what yeah. would you do if you're really clever? How yeah, would- that, I mean, that's that's one of the basic things, forms of media literacy that we should all be learning. Just just take the adversarial position when you're being presented an argument. Okay, so they're saying this. So what are they not telling me? Who are they not talking to? What are they not talking about? Okay. What, what about the information they're presenting? Has that been manipulated? What source is it coming from? All of these basic things you have to do whenever you're encountering any source. And that goes back to the fundamental question, what sources do I trust or what do I don't trust? Again, as an individual case by case basis, and even mixed in with lies, there's usually truth. And how can you sort those those things out? Just basic points about this is what's important. And again, as I say, not everyone has the ability or the time to go through that process with all the information they're encountering. And hey, I mean, I'm not on a high horse, me too. Uh, If I'm not mechanically inclined, if something's wrong with my car, I'm gonna have to take it to a mechanic. And I might take it to a second mechanic to get a second opinion. But at any rate, I, at some point, I'm going to have to trust that this guy isn't trying to screw me over.
1: Somebody's got you know. it. Yeah, he so
3: go but, so uh, we all have to delegate some of our authority at certain times to different people. And we all have to have some sort of system in place for, uh, you know, how much can I trust this? And is this guy trying to screw me over? And, you know, sometimes you might get screwed over. But at any rate, you put that into your engine and calculate that again. So next time, hopefully, you'll be better prepared. Um, these are the types of things we all have to be doing constantly all the time and it is work This is the thing that no one wants to hear. This is why it's not a satisfying answer, right? There is no basic easy switch Flip you turn it, the And now okay now you trust you trust this or that no you have to work constantly It is an uphill battle and most people aren't aren't gonna do that if there is an easy convenient way for them to go Which so, is one reason why we should be building easy and convenient alternatives I mean, there's no reason why BitTorrent or whatever has to be so complicated that the average person can't use it we have to take some of those basic design features that youtube and whatever else are so good at doing and try to build them into the alternatives and that and that's for everything else i mean the alternative currency systems and whatever else we come up with has to be there has to be easy on ramps for people because that's just human nature
1: so this is one of the things i think leading up to that is um what i like about what your program does is it doesn't focus on you you try to ignore it, it seems like what the mainstream media is talking about because Usually what the mainstream media is talking about is, is propaganda and designed to get you to not look at what really should be looked at. And so what's interesting is there's something that the media was ignoring that just happened to become mainstream news now, like um, connected to the Pizzagate and the Epstein and all the sex trafficking. They were ignoring it, calling it, poo-pooing it, saying it was a conspiracy theory, but now it's mainstream news. They've arrested them and now it's a big deal. Why do you think they made that shift? What, what, what's going on there, do you think?
3: Excellent question, and it remains to be seen because it remains to be seen how this plays out. Hey, look, I'm not one of these mega QAnon guys. I don't get. I'm not into that. I just don't believe it. But Why we like you? Hey, bro. if it were true, you know, I I wouldn't be totally happy with it because I still don't want to trust the intelligent the good guys in the intelligence agencies. <laughs> <laughs> Even if some sort of aspect of this were true, and they really are, you know, don't worry, they got a secret plan, and they're going to crack down on all this. Well, hey, you know, good. I'm not going to stop that process. I mean, if that's the way it plays it's out, stupid.
1: great. It's not realistic, but if it is happening, then great.
3: Yeah, sure, exactly. I'm not holding my breath. Let's put it that way. But you never know. And sometimes these people do get scapegoated, and sometimes there are different factions, and when they fight, the you know, the, the knives might come out, and... Who knows, but there's some interesting things may be revealed. That's why we have to watch very carefully the development of the story, and we'll see if Epstein commits suicide in jail or whatever it is. <laughs> I mean, who knows, but
2: we some interesting things are going to happen. In the jail. In the jail.
1: <laughs> well, that, that's something that we just came across recently uh, going back to 9-11, uh, not 9-11, before 9-11, the Oklahoma City bombing. Um, the uh, we There's a, a lawyer uh, here in Salt Lake whose brother was thought to have been, you know, John Doe number two. And he was, you know, he suicided himself in, in prison and when they found the real John Doe number two. He died in the exact same way. And so we've recently got um, uh, the actual statements and uh, affidavits from Terry Nichols. And so going through that, that data, but the same type of thing can happen. I forgot
3: about that. That's another thing I know about Utah because I have interviewed Jesse Trinidad before about his brother. I have the Nichols declaration up on my site. So yeah, I've talked about this before.
2: He, he gave us the transcript of his uh, interview with that guy in jail that apparently nobody has had.
3: Yep. And the judge tried to keep uh, keep him from talking to anyone. Uh, this is the only thing that's ever come out from it. Yeah, pretty, at- pretty amazing, incredible story. Again, if you presented this to people who were not being cognitive dissonance and had not built up mental barriers around it, just in and of itself, it's a crazy story, an incredible story that deserves attention. But for some reason, it doesn't get attention.
0: Yeah, I was, I was, I was uh, pleasantly surprised to see it on Lou Rockwell's um, – he did a number on it on a podcast. That's how I found about, out about it years ago.
1: So before we let you go, I know we're running out of time on our side as well. Um, something else we want to let you know about Utah that, that uh, maybe you haven't known before is um, we know about Skull and Bones at Yale. But what I think most people don't realize is there's a, a second Skull and Bones chapter that we recently discovered, and it's at the University of Utah.
3: I had no idea about that.
1: And there's been a lot of major players, political leaders, of course. It was started by a Yale alumni in 1919, came out to Utah and started at the university here. Mm. And so we've been able to find a lot of it. Is it called Skull and Bones? It's called Skull and Bones, yeah. Okay.
3: Interesting. Because I know there are a lot of those types of things all around the U.S. uh, university system. True Stream Media had a great video up about that about a year or two ago. I can't remember the name of it. Something about secret societies. And they went through all these different secret societies at many different universities all around. the, U, the U.S. I, I don't know if this, that Utah Skull and Bones was in there, but if not, I'd definitely like to check it out.
2: Yeah. It's, it's, so, so have we. We so haven't it. been able to find too much about it, but mm-hmm. have we? we We're try
1: to, to find their tomb. tomb
2: <laughs> so we can go and spray paint it. <laughs>
3: that, that was 1919, you said? Correct. Yeah. Got, and do you, do you know the name of the alien that came out and started it?
1: I, I haven't been able to find out who that was I've just gotten some of the documents written by the people by the Skull and Bones people here in Utah and they haven't at least that I've found they, they didn't name them they just said mm. Skull and Bones alumni from Yale came out and started. It, it
3: probably wasn't Prescott but might have been.
1: doubt it was a bush. <laughs> so
2: I wanted to ask yeah. um, I know every once in a while you do make mention of natural law in your show mm-hmm. uh, but uh, I just wanted to hear you talk about it for a couple of minutes of, uh, of if you prescribe to it, uh, uh, how you do it, uh, what is your, uh, you know, and my my study of natural law is uh, really a, a religious one. And I was just curious what your study of natural law, what its perspective comes from. And
3: if you just tell me about a little bit. Right. Well, my caveat would be that I haven't done a lot of legal scholarship research or anything. So I don't have a well-formed philosophy or well-informed history of it, but it seems to me quite apparent that the, our conception of law as being something that is gaveled down by a judge or something that is legislated, even worse, legislated, uh, you know, let's write a law and now it is the law, that there's something fundamentally so jarringly wrong about that that we have so internalized that we don't even think about it. It's like, oh, they passed a new law today and now it's illegal to do this. Really? Well, why? Like, does something change in the universe? Now, it, you know, the moral fabric of the universe has changed? No, of course not. Now it's just that, you know this group of people have decided for the rest of the year. So it seems to me there has to be something more at base. And it, uh, the obvious thing to say is, well, uh, there, is an, there is some form of natural law. And, you know, I don't care what religious belief you subscribe to or don't subscribe to. We all, as human beings, we, we, we know this intuitively, I, unless you're psychopathic. Perhaps it is truly really different if you don't perceive a moral element to the universe. I mean, there is some sort of moral fabric or dimension or whatever it is that I think we are attuned to, to go out and to aggressively kill someone, to steal the resources or whatever. We all, we all know that is wrong again, unless you're a psychopath. So, um, that, that is in tune with natural law, whatever that is and wherever it comes from. Um, but you know, whatever they passed in, you know, whatever new bylaw they passed in, you know, Salt Lake City City Council yesterday, is that in tune with natural law? No, of course not. It's something to do with... <laughs> Wait, that, doesn't, that doesn't mean that it doesn't have any value. Of course, in any community, in any society, you're going to have to decide on boundaries and, and different things and negotiating different situations. And so I, I understand common law and how it develops over time because, oh, okay, well we understand in this community that if you do this then there's this consequence, I get that. And that makes sense to me, but it still has to boil down to something and there has to be some underlying basis. To just south
1: that. of salt Lake recently, just a couple of weeks ago, this lady was charged with a misdemeanor for because her cat was lying on her lawn. And so, I mean, this kind of, but like you say, of course that doesn't go along with natural laws. And that's
3: just stupid. Um, but
1: <laughs> there, it can also be
3: insidious. It's like, yeah. so you can be, <laughs> you can be charged in numerous municipalities around the United States for trying to feed the homeless. What kind of, I mean, ugh, that is that, that, that infuriates me in every possible way, in every sense. Yeah. How Who could presume to have the authority <laughs> to, to legislate against something like that? And why, it's, it's just mind-boggling, and it's Asterizing. disgusting. But
2: <laughs> but again
3: there are so many issues where they they kind of you can be bamboozled by the the sort of legislative side of it or what yeah. some judge said or the supreme court ruled this but when you boil it down to natural law it makes no sense uh, yeah. uh, because you played a B sus 2 and a c add 9 and a g that and now if i take my fingers and i try to do that on my guitar uh-oh no because there is a copyright, and I have a copyright on that, so you can't use your fingers to make those magic sounds or make those <laughs> yeah. magic notes with your mouth hole. That's, that's against the law. Yeah, what sure. law? And what, what possible way could that arise in a natural law system? It cannot. You cannot own ideas. That's right. one of those things where you look at it from that perspective. It takes on a whole different light than all this legislative nonsense that's piled up on top of it and that we've so, been indoctrinated into.
0: So, James, you'd be a subscriber then of the non-aggression principle?
3: Uh, yes, yes, I would, very heartily so. It's the only thing that makes moral sense to me. I don't, I mean, as, again, anyone who's trying to argue for anything else is just saying implicitly, I agree that we can use violence to get what we want, you know, in this case, when it suits my purposes.
2: I, I, gotta, I, I gotta tell you one thing. One thing we, and then we gotta go. One thing, one thing before I let you go. So, like last year, you guys on uh, New World Next Week talked about that nurse in Salt Lake City that got arrested. For not basically, yeah, yep, you know, yep, yep. I vaguely recall it. Yep. Okay. Yeah, and uh, yep. I just want to let you know. My first response to that story was, "We made New World next week."
1: <laughs> <laughs> We're so proud
2: that Utah <laughs> would do. <it. laughs> and when I heard when I, that happened, hey. I thought it'd be wonderful if I could tell Corbett that ridiculous story. <laughs> 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 and here I am, like yeah, here landed,
3: it's and I can, true. But here's my counter question yeah. to you so yeah. what's what what happened what's the updates on that
2: uh basically i guess a little hell went through and then nothing happened to her she, right?
1: she won a uh, a settlement she won a settlement. like 600 grand or something
2: oh yeah you know, so the state made a mess and uh yeah. we paid
1: right. for it.
2: it's fan it was fantastic
3: yeah exactly yeah <laughs> to the justice yeah. my favorite
2: yeah pretend yeah. legislation at its finest
0: <laughs> just yeah. all around mm. Dave, really grateful to have uh some of your time yeah, and you. uh we, we we're gonna give a hearty shout out to you on the radio uh, for your your Patreon and your channel and uh, and your website. So uh, and we do play your segments randomly. Yeah, um, on the we radio. Do. You've been on our radio show. Awesome.
3: <laughs> awesome. We, well, it's <laughs> that's that's what is first. For. Keep spreading it. Thank you.
0: Uh, CorbettReport.com, and you can find them also on YouTube. Uh, at Corbett Report, and.
1: Uh, but don't watch it there, watch it at CorbettReport.com. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> or no, BitChooting or whatever wherever you say it. <laughs> and Find them on
0: Patreon for yep. sure.
1: So. so hey, thanks again. Uh, appreciate it, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you guys. Take care. The Corbett Report is brought to you by the Corbett Report subscriber. A weekly newsletter featuring James Corbett's international forecaster editorial. Recommended reading and viewing discounts on Corbett Report DVDs, and once a month, a subscriber-only video. Sign up today to start receiving your copy at corbettreport.com support.